Do you have somebody in your life who loves books? Somebody who not only loves books, but always <laughs> wants to share what she's reading with you, thinking that you're just going to love her latest selection, <laughs> like today? Hard pass. <laughs> um, and inevitably, you just can't stand that book that they recommended. Well, that is us. Mm-hmm. We both read a lot. Well, I don't even read. I listen. But we very rarely agree on what constitutes a good read. Yeah, you're in for a wild ride, folks. <laughs> um, I enjoy books that build up new worlds, inviting magic and mystery into our lives. Science fiction and fantasy rule. I listen to a variety, but it's all grounded in reality. Uh. You can keep your elves in space operas. I'm going to. <laughs> uh, welcome to our podcast. You're making me read what? Your hosts on this monthly podcast are myself, Jessica, and my colleague, Christine. We're librarians who get a thrill out of a great book, but usually can't stand what the other person is reading. I can't imagine that. I have no words. (laughs) We've each selected some of our all-time favorite books, and each month we'll alternate between the lists with the goal of persuading the other to enjoy a read she would never have picked up on her own. Even a book that isn't entirely your style may have some redeeming qualities to it. Right? (laughs) (laughs) I guess we'll find out. Um, I don't know if there's a need to do a spoiler alert with this one. Nope. It's not really a plot-driven book. Correct. Um, So I have a bone to pick with you even before we talk about the book. Wow. Yeah, it's starting early. Wow. It's starting early. So... You know, our usual spiel back and forth, like, mm-hmm. we love books, we librarians, uh-huh. yay books. We specifically say, we're going to pick books that are our all-time favorites, <laughs> like things we have read and enjoyed and reread over the years. Would you care to tell our listing audience of more than two people, how many times have you read this book? When's the, first, when's the first time you read this book? I finished it last night. Oh, that's really fascinating. You didn't follow the rules, <laughs> and so this podcast is voided. It does not count. Wow. It doesn't count. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for listening. That was really fun. I hope everyone enjoyed it. <laughs> Why did you pick this book if you hadn't read it before Well, I was we reading it. it. I was reading, reading it. it. But so, it was so hard to read, it took you like five months. The, let's back up a little bit <laughs> and say that the book is The Road to Character by uh-huh, David Brooks. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm going to nerd out and fangirl a little bit here. Yeah. Um, you know how I am about the PBS NewsHour. I it am is, aware, yes. It is my mecca. Okay, the lady that you like, Judy Marlene. Woodruff. No. There's a Marlene? No. No, it's just a Judy Woodruff. It is okay. all about the Judy Woodruff. Okay, great. She didn't write this book, by the way, if people are wondering. No, but she loves David Brooks. Every Friday night, uh-huh. David Brooks, and it used to be Mark Shields, and now it's um, Jonathan Marlene. Capehart. Um, no. Um, <laughs> anyway, they get a conservative, a politically conservative person mm-hmm. and a politically um, liberal person to come on the news hour every Friday, and they discuss the week's news, okay. and they each give their perspectives. That's and fascinating. Da- and David Brooks has done this for about 20 years, and so that's kind of how I got to know him. I, he's okay. a New York Times columnist, and he's written for a lot of um, socially conservative or politically conservative papers in the past. Okay. Um, and But I've never read his columns Unless he's done something on the news hour that has spurred ah. me to do it. The thing that I yeah. love about him is I always learn something from him, so I may not agree with what he says. I, yeah. But I, he's a really firmly ethical person. And so he has a different perspective and a different kind of life um, expectation or mm-hmm. maybe, I don't know. He's just got a different of, vibe. Yeah. yeah. But he is always ethical. He is always respectful. He... He's one of those people that you can disagree with mm-hmm. and still be friends with. And that is a wonderful thing in the type of society that we live in right now yep. where people with different political specifically values or uh, who land on different ends of an argument often find that they cannot talk about it. Right. Like you, you cannot even be in the same room with some people because it's, it's like a wildfire. It just ignites and you can't get past it. And I will say – 
uh, I did not like this book. I think <laughs> I, I predicted that. I think you might have guessed that. <laughs> um, but there were many redeeming qualities to his research process. Yes. Like it was apparent that he took an incredible amount of time and attention to detail to draft what he hoped would be a book that would lead people towards better moral character or better philosophical judgment or whatever. Um, <laughs> again, I did I didn't I don't agree with the premise of this book. Okay. Um, maybe we should talk a little bit about that. But I agree sure. I agree that he I can imagine he must be a very good journalist mm-hmm. with that type of attention to detail and writing style. And, you know, there were some compelling parts to it that I was like, oh, that's interesting. I don't agree with it. Right. But it's interesting that you brought it all together. You found the yeah. ties. And I think he's an interest- introspective person. Mm-hmm. And so and I think he says at the beginning of this. So if you listen to it, he reads the introduction and then another reader reads the full text, mm-hmm. oh, which I think is actually a perfect balance because um, we've talked in the past how I think some authors <laughs> fall into this kind of trap of thinking, I'm so great, I could read my own book. Uh-huh. And that's a different talent from writing a book. Oh, yeah. And so he gives you, it It feels um, a little more intimate because he's reading it at the beginning. And so you mm-hmm. get to know his true voice mm-hmm. as well as his written voice. And you can kind of hear him now, I'm used to listening to him on the news hour rather than just reading his articles. But anyway, I think that's that was a good choice. And then he lets a professional do the rest of it. So he didn't let his own ego kind yeah. of get into the fact that, you know, it, do, it doesn't ruin. Well, I, I think we may have talked previously about my distaste for full cast audiobooks. Yes. Which sound like a it sounds like a play. Right. But that I'm missing the visual for. Right. But something like this seems incredibly realistic that, yep. you know, you're sharing your bits so that people understand where your voice is coming from, and then you actually let someone who's trained to do this do the work so that they're getting the most out of the audio quality. Exactly. Love it. Okay. So there, he, that's one tiny thing I can say. That sounds – I didn't participate. That sounds okay. <laughs> well, he, he talks a little bit about why he wrote the book, and it was for his own struggle. He was wondering about character and mm-hmm. why – how people develop it and – did he have character and was he too egotistical? And so this was like a journey of self-discovery for him, which may be part of it that you disliked so much because it was too personal and not. It wasn't the personal part. And I'm making people can't see me. I'm making a very squidgy face right now. That's <laughs> one way to describe it. Well, how would you describe it? <laughs> disgusted. Oh, it, and it's not even that. I'm not disgusted by the content mm-hmm. or by his journey because everyone goes through their own journey. Sure. Um so, like, when I get a book, right, I, I do physical books, uh-huh. I tend to open the book and I read the inserts, uh-huh. the, 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 the flaps, flap. right? And the goal of this book was to make people think a little bit more about different types of virtues. Uh-huh. So his original premise, just, you know, the two paragraphs that I read, was about the difference in how we live and reflect on ourselves and grow these virtues that have two different subsets. So one he called resume virtues uh-huh. and one he called eulogy virtues Mm -hmm. and resume virtues are the things that you do when you're alive that you put on a resume Mm -hmm. so you are successful you are driven although that can go both of them you are you have goals and you want to meet them and then you have more goals and you've got these stepping stones that lead you to like a career path Mm -hmm. or whatever it's like the external stuff that you achieve yes and 
the goal of this book, apparently, was to tell you about those, but about how they are not good. And the things that you need to focus on are your eulogy virtues, the things that someone is going to tell about you when you're dead mm-hmm. and that you hope that people are going to think about you, that you're um, compassionate, mm-hmm. that you are humble, that you uh, have had love in your life. Mm-hmm. Those are great things. Mm-hmm. But the whole premise of this book appeared to me to be that those two shall not coexist mm. and that it is a bad thing. If I, because I'm the individual reading this, focus more on that first set of virtues versus the second set, I think that's incredibly hypocritical and sanctimonious. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually normally, I write, I type my notes up and I was too mad. And so instead I've just got these post-it notes sticking out of the sides of the book. And there's a lot of them. There's one on the cover that just says sanctimonious nonsense. Um, And I really believe that. Like... It may have been his journey that he was struggling with that first set of virtues and he didn't have balance in his life. And Mm -hmm. so he just swung all the way over to these other set. I cannot believe that that's true for the majority of people in the world, that Mm -hmm. you can't find some set of balance in your life between being okay with having ambition to move yourself forward in the actual life that you're living Mm -hmm. and um, nurturing those traits that that people are going to talk about when you're dead. Like mm-hmm. you can have both of them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't. I didn't think of it as an either or. I thought that he, he labeled was... them as that. Adam one and Adam two. Right, but I thought of it as um, as what society kind of is pressuring us to go to. So we are being the outside forces mm-hmm. of society because we all live in a society, mm-hmm. whichever one you know. We're he's and I think he's speaking specifically to the US. This is a book yes. written for Absolutely Americans. capitalistic American yeah. society. Yes. Yeah. So um so there were not people from other he he picks um people that he thinks epitomizes the virtues or the issues mm-hmm. that he's discussing for each chapter and, and they're they were all American. Um yeah. well except um Saint Augustine is in there. So Yeah and that was like 2,000 years ago. Right. No, 17, whatever. Um, and this book was written in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the things that he maybe was struggling with, with the imposition of society saying you need to do this and you need to have goals and you need to achieve things, has only gotten more right. more pressureful right. as people continue to use social media. And all you have are these quick bites and these right. videos and these images to show people who you are and why you're valuable. Right. Oh, wait. George Eliot's in here, too. So she's British. So... Um, yeah, but Western. they were all all used for yeah. his yeah kind of thesis. But I guess almost. most of the people in here are American. Um, yeah. So Western values. Um, Agreed. Um, I think I what I got out of it was that he was saying that um, we used to have more of a collective mm-hmm. um, conscience where we were moving together as a society, and that had um, one set of pros and cons. Mm-hmm. And now we've become very individualistic, and that has another set of pros and cons. And what I thought he was saying was there's a balance, and we've swung way too far, and Mm -hmm. let's swing more toward the collective. Um, Whereas to you it just was, no, this is all bad and this is all good. And that was not what I – I didn't hear – maybe I was reading it through my own lens, right? Oh, sure. Because we all do that. Absolutely. But I didn't see in there – we should move back towards things. Like the final statement he has in here, the closing statement he has, after, you know, before he gets to his um, acknowledgments in here, were about um, stumbling and the fact that it's okay to stumble. Right. And that, you know, it's fine. It's not wrong. Right. Um, but he talks about joy. 
Uh-huh. And he says, you know, joy is not a product of other people praising you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that might be true. Mm-hmm. But he also talks about how you may not actually feel giddy in those moments when mm. you have joy. You may not hear, and I'm quoting now, you may not hear the orchestra's delirious swell or see flashes of crimson or gold, but you'll feel a satisfaction, a silence, a peace, a hush. And those moments are the blessing and the signs of a beautiful life. Mm-hmm. And I like that's great. Those are certainly specific moments, but they're not everything. Right. I, I just don't I don't know that I agree with his premise. Like the titles of the chapters where he was talking about uh, the the morals that he was trying to cultivate mm-hmm. were really fascinating to me. So self mastery, mm-hmm. uh, devotion, dignity, love, mm-hmm. ordered love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a- that was super weird. <laughs> um, 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 there were just bunches of them, and absolutely, those are all things you should try and cultivate, but not like to the detriment of everything else. Mm-hmm. And the language that he used to describe some of them just totally irked me out. Okay, so Ugh. that's fascinating to me. That was one of the things I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, so tell me about that because I I thought he was very successful in kind of whenever you have a really deep philosophical discussion, I think you need to define your terms so that because language is flexible enough mm-hmm. that what I say when I what I mean when I say dignity may not be what you mean when you hear dignity. Absolutely. So he does he, – he takes back certain words where he says they use – this used to mean – and one of the things I can remember is he talks about sin. And he I says, have that one too. He says usually these days we talk about sin. We talk about a sinful dessert that we're going to mm-hmm. – you know, and, and he wanted it to have more gravitas. He wanted sin to be like with the capital S, which they used to like back in the day, like when we were a more um, religious culture. Mm-hmm. He, that's what he's looking for when he's talking about sin, not just, oh, I indulged in a decadent mm-hmm. dessert. So my post-it note says, don't dis-dessert. <laughs> I thought you'd appreciate that because – and I also totally disagree with his ideology on that. Okay. Like we – the fact that words like sin, which have heavy religious connotations, mm-hmm. have been watered down over time says to me that we as a culture have become more accepting of things that – specific subsets of people might have found divergence. Sure. And I think that that's okay. I think it's okay that if you say some words like sin or mm-hmm. um, magnanimous was another one mm-hmm. he used in here, that there are lots of different ways and interpretations because everyone's got a different mindset. And I don't think it's bad that individuals can focus on a collective like their family right. or their their work family or their neighborhood or their city or whatever, but also on yourself. Sure. That's not a bad thing. So the magnanimous one was weird to me. I have to find it now again with my little post-it notes. Here it is. <laughs> so one of his chapters was about self-mastery, mm-hmm. and the focus was on um, like a, a military. He was a general, mm-hmm. I think, marshal. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and there's this paragraph that talks about um, the magnanimous leader. Mm-hmm. And I'll I'll quote it. So the magnanimous leader does not have a normal set of social relations. There is a residual sadness to him, as there is in many grandly ambitious people who surrender companionship for the sake of lofty goals. He can never allow himself to be silly or simply happy or free. He is like marble. That is not how I would frame the word magnanimous uh, or a magnanimous leader. Like for me, if you're magnanimous, you are looking out for a collective. Mm-hmm. Like right, you and I are both leaders. Um, many people in library land or in 
the general we're leaders, right? right? Yeah, we help people for the greater good. Right. But that does not mean that you need to segregate yourself and isolate yourself and let feelings and emotions bounce off of you because you can't personally interact with the people that you are attempting to help. I think right. that's incredibly off-putting. Yeah, I can. That is, I don't agree with his definition there at all. Um, I, I think what I liked about him defining stuff mm. is that. He, I think he was defining it not for how it should be used in in common conversation, sure, sure. but just for this conversation. Like he wants you to know when he says sin, he's mm-hmm. not talking about a chocolate eclair. Agreed. He's yes. talking about sin with a capital S. Yes. Yes. Um, and so I think that's the important part. Uh, and he does that routinely throughout yes. the book. You know, he talks about poise and he says, mm-hmm. we talk about poise and we think of it as like sort of social graces. No, no, no. That poise is like your inner strength and your ability to stand up to. So he wants he wants to make sure that the conversation is happening on the same level. Agreed with that. But I don't – his definitions did not resonate for me. Yeah. And they were – they made the whole book so – it was all these little examples, so mm-hmm. I would read it and go, mm, that's not for me. Mm. Mm, that's not for mm-hmm. me. So the further into the book I got, the more I was just not ready okay. to, to listen to his examples because they were so – they were just so off-putting for me. Okay. And it doesn't mean that I don't understand his perspective. It's the same thing we talked about at the beginning. We can have different perspectives on things. We can have different viewpoints. That's good. Sure. But I don't agree with them. And that's okay too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So – the thing that I found interesting is the people that he chose to fascinating you know, illustrate. Bunch. Yes, um, and and I knew some of them. I'm embarrassed to say I didn't know very much about many of them. Well, even the first lady Perkins, Frances Perkins, Frances Perkins. Like, I knew her name. Yeah, and, but I didn't. know. And I knew about the fire, but yep. not any of the context. Right. Yeah. So this is the Triangle um, shirt. Shirt company fire. Yeah, it was the cotton that caught on fire. Yeah, and all the workers were um, trapped inside, and she actually watched it happen, and it transformed her life. She became um, the secretary of labor Mm -hmm. for FDR. And the most interesting kind of aspect of that to me was um, she was hardcore New England, like (laughs) New England through and through, every stereotype you can think of. Um, And and he celebrates that. He Mm -hmm. celebrates the kind of... Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. No nonsense. We're collective kind of. We work for the collective good. Mm-hmm. And um, she goes to work for FDR, who she knew because he was the governor of New York. Mm-hmm. He, she did not respect him at all nope. at the time. And yet, so this is after he's had polio. He is still stumping on doing speeches. And they were um, – Having him in braces, so he would they would set him up at a podium so he could hold on and, and stand up, but at the end of his speech he couldn't get back to his chair gracefully. Mm-hmm. And she, this is a man she doesn't respect, and she coerced one of her friends to go up and they hid him behind their skirts and escorted him yep. off the stage so that he could keep his dignity yep. and not look, um, you know. Uh, disabled, which yeah. at the time would have ruined his career. Yep. And so I thought that is a person who has character, who, who is yes. doing something for the greater good. She doesn't want him humiliated. And so even though she doesn't like him, she's going to do what's in her power to give him a graceful exit. Agree with all of that. And her story was one of the more fascinating ones to me because me I knew just enough snippets that reading her history and his interpretation of her history, yes. because yes. all we have are historical documents that... Uh, we can overlay with right. what we think happened. 
And her chapter was called The Summoned Self, mm-hmm. that um, she had – she wasn't a socialite, but she had been from a family that had some money and then they didn't have as much money. And she was living like a lady's life. Yep. And seeing this fire at this factory really proselytized her. Yep. Um, you know, there's a section here that talks about the difference between a vocation and a career. Mm-hmm. And hers is a vocation that she was – she was – like a lightning rod for this type of work of ensuring that people had rights and access to safety no matter their place in life. Right. But within that same vein, like I appreciated the story and mm-hmm. I appreciated some of his interpretation of things. But I don't love the connection that he tried to bridge between okay. that. So he was talking about um, her not choosing her life. So he said that She responded to the call of a felt necessity, and a person who embraces a calling doesn't take a direct route to self-fulfillment. She's willing to surrender the things that are most dear, and by seeking to forget herself and submerge herself, she finds a purpose that defines and fulfills herself. Hmm. And maybe that is true for a very, very small group of people, but I, I... I have a hard time imagining that it's true for most people. And yeah. if if this book is truly a process that he was using to to come to some realizations about character development morals, but it's also a print book that lots of people read. Right. Um, I don't know. It just it strikes a weird note for me that mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to tell anyone that they don't have self determination. Right. Right. That that just it feels odd. So I don't know how to interpret that quote. Um, but he does later talk about agency. So I don't yes. think he's I don't think he's advocating that you don't have, you know, self-determination. Yeah. I think what he's saying is you kind of surrender to this greater good. Um, and, and it's an interesting mix between because he's a religious person. Um, yes. Um, and and so that factors in here. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, I thought it factored in in a kind of intellectual way as opposed to um, a Bible-thumping way. Um, yeah, I didn't get – there was nothing – I mean, he he is obviously a religious man from this mm-hmm. book. You can tell just from the context and the um, citations that he uses. And I didn't come across – I didn't mean it in that way either. I mm-hmm. don't think that he was trying to um, turn this into like a religious treaty. Right. But what I did get out of it, he does talk about self-agency and the need for people to find your own identity – later in the book. Mm -hmm. But it's also overlaid with the fact that you might be summoned to a vocation that you never thought you were going to. Yes. And it feels implied that it's okay for you to give up everything Mm. to fulfill this one character goal because you were you you were sought out, you were found, you Mm -hmm. you had a lightning rod moment. And so nothing else, nothing else is important. There's a can't remember the lady's name now, but there's a chapter in here about a woman who has a daughter, and she's yeah. the woman um, day day yes mm-hmm. day um, has a daughter uh, Tamar or Tamar, and um, she day is um, she converts to Catholicism, mm-hmm. and she becomes deeply involved in that church, and she, and the language that Mr. Brooks uses. I assume based off of documentation they had was that she really left her child to the raising of other people in the church yep. so that she could go out and, and proselytize. Yep. And, you know, that's fine if that's your deal. But no, I have a very hard time with that, too. Yeah. And I think he that's interesting that you interpreted him as saying that that was OK, because I interpreted it as like this is extreme. You don't give up the people 
that are around yes. you, your your core folks yes. for the whole. So. I don't think he was saying that that was a good thing. I'm mm-hmm. just saying there were so many examples throughout yeah. here yes. that in my head bundled together. And I thought, well, that's an interesting message that I'm not exactly comfortable with. Yeah. And and so to kind of balance, he, he talks about um, in the context of agency, he talks mm-hmm. about it, um, about people who are uh, economically disadvantaged mm-hmm. and saying that that's how they give up hope is that like they they just don't feel like anything's ever going to change yeah. and it's never going to get any better and so they don't have agency and so yeah. that's kind of they're demoralized. Yeah. But he says the same thing about uh, very wealthy people who don't have a job and they just you know on we it's the yes. on we of it all. And I yeah. I found that to be a really interesting parallel because it's the extremes yeah. and I think what he's essentially arguing is for the moderation for the for the middle ground somewhere where you mm-hmm. have something that's meaning <clears throat> excuse me mm-hmm. meaningful to you but and you're working toward it mm-hmm. but you're also connected so there's yeah. the combination um one of the other ones that resonated with me is he's talking about Dwight David Eisenhower mm-hmm. and he was talking about how he had a ton of freedom as a child but it was he also had a ton of responsibility. Yeah. And kids today have very no, little freedom, none. but they also have very little responsibility. Yep. And so what does that do to us mm-hmm. as as individuals and then as a collective society? Um, and so anyway, that those were the kind of ideas yeah. that I found thought provoking and interesting and kind of like from the social standpoint. Yeah. Um, and that's what I liked about this book. It, I, what did you like about this book? I, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, um, I yeah, just right. I just didn't. And and that's okay, right? Sure. If, if I had gotten the message that you got out of this, maybe I would have read it with a little bit more grace. Okay. Um, but I was so irritated from the get-go. <laughs> right. Like the, the starting, the prelude for all of this was him talking about these two versions of humanity, right. Adam, Adam 1 and Adam 2. Right. And about how Adam 1 only is driven for personal fulfillment right. in like a capitalistic society. And Adam 2 is like this great person who doesn't care about that stuff. Right. And that how we should always strive to be Adam 2. And, you know, that it just did not sit well with sure. me that that was that was the start. Right. And that set the tone. Right. And then within mere pages of that, he was talking about how he was the only man who had ever finished Eat, Pray, Love. So he <laughs> obviously had perspective on many oh, sides of things. So so I will say that mm. he that was all tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. He especially. Yes, that was tongue in cheek. But you wouldn't know that. From, I wouldn't know yeah, that. I just picked up this book. Right. Well, I made you. In yeah, fairness, that's true. I made you, made you pick me. it up. But I don't know him. I right. don't know his writing. I've right. never read his columns. Right. He's got a great sense of humor. And but he's if, very self-effacing. But if you don't know that, right. if you just if you go to the library or the bookstore and you pick this up, right. that is not what came across. Right. No, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, so it was – I. I'm not super happy you had me read this. <laughs> I don't like that he was mean to desserts right. um, because of how much I love desserts. And uh, Well, what I'm mm. worried about now is what you're going to make me read um, as punishment because I suspect it's going to be The Hobbit. No, that is my nuclear option. So, <laughs> no, I... I, I don't know if you're going to like our read for next month. I really enjoyed it, and I have re- enjoyed subsequent books by the same author. Okay. So we are reading The Midnight Library by Ma- Matt Haig, uh-huh. H-A-I-G. Mm-hmm. Have you read it? I've not read okay. it, but it's been on hold for a long time. Yes, it's been on my list for a while. Um, so the idea behind this, and I mean, you know, it's a book that has the title library in it. We, we, we're obligated to read it. Wait, it's true. like a professional requirement. True. But the idea behind this book is that um, a young woman, Nora, is um, going through some stuff in her life, and she ends up committing suicide. 
And she ends up in this place, the Midnight Library, and it's filled with books that are all her, and they're all variations on her life. So everyone is a different decision that she could have made and a different life that she could have lived. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's kind of like purgatory. Uh-huh. And she has these opportunities to try out these different lives that she could have lived if she had made different choices. And it's a fascinating book. It's beautifully written. Um, it takes on a lot of mental health discussion points, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. I, I think will be interesting for us to talk about. Um, and like, spoiler alert in here, like um, nobody here is in any way condoning suicide. Um, there sure. are suicide prevention lines out there. If you or anyone you know is thinking of it, please have them call that number. And this book really kind of delves into that topic. Mm -hmm. So it's just a, it's an interesting book. I, okay. I hope you enjoy it. And I was not being petty. I didn't pick a book specifically because <laughs> you made me read this one. So you're welcome. My moral character is strong. Well, you've just proven it. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for joining us for your Making Me Read What? <laughs> Even if this book wasn't your cup of tea, there are millions more where that came from. And don't forget, you can always grab these books and lots more at your local library. So please do join us next month when we will be discussing The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Thank you and keep on reading.